All right. <laughs> well, so anyone ever seen the movie Pollyanna? Long time ago, right? There's a great line. So it's all about this girl who's like super happy, the, the, like the habitual optimist. And her line in, in you know, this movie really, really always, it always gets me. If you, look to the, if you look at the world expecting to find, if you look for the bad in the world expecting to find it, you surely will. I think it was a quote from Abraham Lincoln. Right. And so when we think about the world around us, do we expect to find bad? If we're expecting to find bad, are we expecting to find love? Or are we expecting to bring love when we, where we expect bad? I mean, think about, think about this, this question. When you think about, you know, someone asks you, um, how are things at home? Well, they're about 2,000 square feet, and uh, God, oh yeah, the new, new carpet. Uh, oh, he's got a new, uh, new dresser. And, you know, new, new, are they asking you about the furniture? Are they asking about the square footage? You're asking about the relationships. When people ask you, how are things at home, they're not asking about how much you know about your house. They're not asking you about, okay, they might be asking you about your chickens. <laughs> but they're thinking about relationships. They're not talking about decor or appliances. Quality of life, quality of relationships, things that you do or, or did together as a family. Are things in your household peaceful right now, or is there conflict? Are things in your house, is, are you celebrating something, or are you going through a trauma? Are you going through a hardship? If someone asks you the question, how is your faith going? Well, the Bible says, well, John chapter 2 says, well, the eschatology of the Old Testament, the ecclesiology of the New Testament says, Oh, let's talk about soteriology. Oh, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's the theology of, of salvation. But <laughs> eschatology is end times. Ecclesiology is the study of the church. You know, um, toddlerology is you know study of children. <laughs> but you know, if, if someone is asking you how your faith is going, they're asking how is your relationship with God? How is your view of God? How are you doing? Are there, is there peace? Is there conflict? Are you mad I got right now? Is some, what is going on? How would you gauge even your faith? How would you gauge your relationship with the living God? Well, our faith is directly associated with love. And we'll get to that here in a second, but how is your faith going? Who are you loving? How are you loving them? How is your love relationship with God going? Because there's, there's a couple different, a few different ways I want to I talk about this. And then it's, it's posed in the form of questions. So there's three questions. They're very similar, but one word is different. So the first way I want to ask this question is, how do you love people? Take a, take a gander into your, the way that you love people. How do you love? Right now, it's, an, it's kind of an, a self-evaluation. What are the ways in which you do love? Right, uh, right now. So the question, I guess, right now even is, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Right. Don't hurt me. Yeah. Oh, got the hair for it now. Right. Yeah. There you go. 
<laughs> oh, that's never going to get old. <laughs> Except my neck is hurt. I, don't, I can't do that when I'm old. <laughs> Hurts too much. <laughs> but as we think about how do you love, let's ask the question, what is love? What is this thing that we call love? So there's four different words, uh, four different words there on the, on the screen. So there's four different words for love in the Bible, in the Greek. Uh, so the first one is phileo. There's storge, eros, and agape. So phileo is brotherly love. So it's like a companion, friendship-type love, like Philadelphia. Ph- you know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. So I'm sorry, it's, it's brotherly. It means brotherly love. So phileo and adelphoi is brother in, in Greek as well. So it's the city of brotherly love. Phileo. Phileo fish. You know. Phileo love. And then there's storge, which is um, family. So it's familial love. The love that you have for a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or grandparents, aunts and uncles. You know, it's the reason why crazy Uncle Larry is still invited to reunions. Because you just kind of put up with them because you have that storge love for them, right? It's, it's that love for, because of the position of being a family member, you, are, you have storge. Eros is the only time it's, it's, it's found is actually in the Septuagint in, uh, in uh, Song of Solomon. So Eros is that erotic, so that's the romantic and sexual love um, that is between a married couple. And then agape. The only time in all, of, in all of the world that agape is used is in the Bible. It's not used outside of the scriptures uh, in other Greek philosophies and stuff like that because it's unknown to them. So agape is attuned to the Hebrew word chesed. So in the Hebrew, there's also another word called ahava. Ahava is, like I, I said, ahava love for you. This is kind of how we remembered it in Hebrew. It's basically, that, that is more of an affection. Like, I have an affection. So it's more of a stirring of, like, phileo and storge or something like that. So it's, a, it's a, an, an affection for you. But agape is attuned to chesed in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew. So, un, so, so chesed means steadfast faithfulness in the Hebrew. It's this love that is, but that is, is basically on the part of the practicer, not the receiver. That it's a love that doesn't have to be received because it is simply given. God is faithful. God is chesed when Israel was not chesed. Agape is the very essence of who God is. So let's look at this. First John chapter 4, <clears throat> 7 through 19 says this. If I can get to the right page. I mean, really, really, just read the entire, you know, entire book of First John, and you'll, you'll get it. So, First uh, John four seven through nineteen says this: Dear friends, let us agape love one another. That's one of those twenty three where it says love one another specifically in all the New Testament, because what love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And that's what he said: Everyone who agapes has been born of God. Not phileoed, agaped. The one who does not agape does not know God. Because God is agape. God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. 
God sent his only, one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, there's number three in the Bible, God remains in us or dwells in us, abides in us. We'll get to that in a minute. And his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we abide, remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son as the world's savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains or dwells or abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. There it is again. God is agape. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains or dwells or abides in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother, sister, whom he has not seen, cannot love God, whom he has he's not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. I know I read, read a couple more verses, but. Agape. Chesed. That's why like, you know, unconditional is, is associated with Agape. Because it all depends on God. God has chosen to love. He loved first because love is who he is. If God ceased to be chesed, he would cease to be God. Because God is so much chesed that chesed is who God is. It's the very essence of God's nature and character. That if he ceased to be, if he ceased to love, he would cease to be God. Because it said twice, God is agape. God is love. His, he is steadfast faithfulness. He is steadfast devotion. You never have to question if God loves you. It oftentimes is helpful to be reminded, though. I've said this a few times, but here it is. Think about Rest in this. Close your eyes. And imagine God singing this over you. I love you. I love you. God is singing that over you. Do you ever imagine that? God sings over you. Oh, yes, I do. I do. I love you. I love you. Receive that from God this morning. 
God loves you. And he'll never stop loving you. He'll never stop loving you. Why? Because he chose to. You can't ruin it. You can't spoil it. You can't disappoint him. You can't stop him loving you. How awesome is that? It's so good. God loves I want to revisit one of my favorite stories that we've been through these last couple years in Luke to remember this beautifulness of the, the beautifulness of this. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell down and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now remember, just to kind of give a little bit of background here, that that the, that leprosy was horrible. I mean, so this is this is kind of a junk drawer of different skin diseases. So it could be like flakes, it could be boils, it could be whatever. It's not maybe not traditional, you know, the necessarily what we were would refer to as Hansen's disease today, like typical 21st century leprosy, um, but somewhere attuned to that, where basically he was unclean. He couldn't touch people, could people couldn't touch him. In fact, he couldn't even live in the town. He had to be outside. And if he ever even came close to town or came through town, he'd have to yell out, unclean coming, unclean coming. Taking upon himself the identity of dirty, less than, unlovable, untouchable. He couldn't go to worship. He couldn't go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice in the temple. He couldn't even go to the holy city because he was unclean. He couldn't go near God. Because they believed that God was in, a, in one specific place. He couldn't go near to God. He couldn't go to near the synagogue to hear the word of God. He couldn't have people over. He couldn't, couldn't go over to pe- people's homes. Unless they were fellow lepers. He probably, I don't even, even if this man had ever even been touched in years. Physical contact. And what did Jesus do? He went and he reached out and he touched him. He broke through all of the cultural norms of what people said was acceptable or not acceptable. And he said, I am going to love you whether anyone else, including you, like it or not. I'm going to touch you. I'm going to touch your heart. I'm going to touch your body to heal it and bring healing and restoration. And not only that, but now you get to go and be fully reconnected and restored in every way to society. And not just to society, but to me. You are restored. You can go and hear the, the word of God spoken, read aloud. You can go offer your sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, go do it. Go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice in the temple and what was the sacrifice? It was a meal with God. 
Do you know this? It wasn't a sin offering. This was a fellowship offering. And fellowship offerings were given, they would, they would take the fatty portions and put them on the altar and they'd, be, and they'd burn them. They would burn the head and they would take the hide and take it outside the camp and all the entrails and burn them outside the camp. But the person who was offering the fellowship sacrifice would sit there and they would barbecue it, they would cook it, and he would eat it in God's presence. This was God saying, I love you and I'm bringing you back. He didn't have to say, I'm unclean anymore. He could run around saying, I'm clean! I'm clean! Why? Because Jesus made me clean. Because God first loved me and made me clean. So if he said, I'm clean, I'm clean. I don't care what you think. You might still judge me by this leprosy I used to have. Well, guess what, sucker? I don't have it no more. Because he made me clean. And he called me clean. And I got to go and have lunch with Yahweh. Come at me, brah, with your accusations of trying to tell me that I'm unclean. Heck no. I am clean. Because the king made me clean. We can even ask, we can hear this in our hearts, can't we? Sometimes we feel unclean. And we're going to Jesus saying, Lord, if you are willing. But even more so, I think our, our deepest questions in our faith oftentimes are, Lord, do you love me? Lord, do you love me? me. Oh, yes, I do. I do. What did he say? I love you. I am willing. You're clean. And oftentimes this, you know, these, these unclean diseases like leprosy are often associated with sin. The culture back then associated them like, well, you deserved it because you did such and such. Maybe this was actually an STD. This was like they're, maybe they're in monkeypox because he had went and had gay sex. And so this man incurred God's judgment through a disease. But Jesus is saying, I love you. I am willing. You are clean. You are forgiven. Be restored. Maybe you deserved it. How can you love people? Different kinds of people. Number two, there's different kinds of people. Let's look at these. You know, you know, enemies or those who are difficult to love. These are the these are the kinds of people that you would basically like say God would tell you, you know, tell you love these people, and you just look at God and you say I don't want to. I don't want to love boomers. Maybe it's a demographic thing. You know, the thing about like, how we've subdivided ourselves into generations and we judge those generations by the whole generalized perception of that generation. Boomers, okay, boomer, whatever. You know, like this whole you know, dialogue back and forth of people berating and belittling our elders. That's disrespectful and rude and not good. 
and the Buster generation. And then their kids, the Gen Xers and the Millennials, or as I like to call myself, a Millennium Falcon, because I'm right in between. Yeah, grew, up in, grew up with Star Wars. <laughs> I am an older, I'm an, I'm an old guy in the Millennials. And then you have the newer generations like Gen Z that are like teenagers and college kids right now. And then Gen Alpha, which are like my kids and Graciana, right? Our kids. Do we, do we say, I don't want to love those people because of a specific generation that they're a part of? Well, those boomers are old school. They don't deserve love anymore or respect. We're, we're so much more enlightened as these younger, gen, as gener, younger generation. I've gone to college. And I've got a degree in gender studies. Because that's a, a great degree. That's effective. That'll put food on the table. Now, think about it, people with disabilities. This is you know going into in a different place where it's really interesting. I've you know because I was grown, born and raised with a mom, who was a, a special ed teacher's aide, and so I was so used to just being around people with, dis, with different kinds of disabilities, and I, I love people with disabilities. I love people with with, with Down syndrome and like and uh, you know, mental retardations and uh, with people with autism, people with all I mean just different things, cerebral palsy. Um, you know, we've had a few you know, people come through and, and, you know, and people who are a part of our church still that have a disability that's a physical and manifest as a, a, a mental and emotional uh, disability as well. But it's interesting even too, like, how do we treat mental disability, even if it's an emotional disability? People with, with, with depression and anxiety, how do we encounter people with different kinds of disabilities, learning disabilities, or social disabilities, emotional disabilities, physical disabilities. You know, one of my favorite places to go was, has been Camp Eagle. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a camp for, for kids with, with disabilities, and, and adults with, dis, with disabilities. But it's interesting to me that there is a whole, you know, just a mass amount of the public that don't like people with disabilities, and they shun them, they, they drive them away. Make, they make them feel uncomfortable, so they don't know how to interact with people who make them feel uncomfortable because of a disability, or like we talked about, a demographic, a generation. And maybe it's not that we don't, you know, it's not, maybe it's not that we hate, you know, the people, certain people hate people with disabilities, but we don't love them. Like, we don't reach out to them. We don't, we don't do ministry with them. We don't intentionally seek after when we have the ability to seek after and to connect with someone with a disability. And so maybe they're just kind of floating around with, without anyone paying attention to them because they make people feel uncomfortable. They don't go out of their way to bully them, but they don't connect with them relationally either. That's one of the, I watched this movie called Wonder about a kid with a facial disability or a facial deformation. And most of the people just like looked at him, but then like would turn away. They didn't want to engage, but it was the ones that engaged in a positive way that the movie was all about. How do we engage with people in a positive way to treat them as a human? Because people with disabilities all want the same thing that we do, to be treated like a human and to be loved, to be cherished. So the question is, how can you Love people. Maybe another one that uh, is difficult is our sinners. Like in this passage, maybe this was a direct result of sin. 
that he got like an STD or he got a disease somehow, some way. We don't know. We don't know why or how. But oftentimes our mind and our heart says, well, you deserve what you got, sinner. So I'm just not going to love you. I don't, I'm not going to hate you. You can go live your life, but I want nothing to do with you. So it's that, that hatred of just pulling away and not engaging in love to someone who has sinned or someone, like say for instance, like sexual sin. Do we specifically demonize people who are homosexual or self-professed you know, transgender? Do we demonize and say you are not worthy of Christ's love because you're gay or you're trans? Oftentimes our attitude says that. How can, how can you love people? Because think about that. I mean, other people that, you know, maybe that we were like, yep, they are an addict. They're always going to be an addict. And that's all I'm going to ever see them as. As someone who well, used to be an addict, but you're still an addict because you used to be one. That's all the only, the only way that I know you. You know, substance abusers or addicts. What about occult followers? You know, witches and, and New Age. Because I tell you what, this is our, the fastest growing religion in our country right now. Occult. Witchcraft and, and New Age. It's so fast moving. It's taking over TikTok. There's now a, a, a hashtag that's been used over like 120 billion times. They're calling it witch talk. Occult practices are taking over our culture, are taking over Gen Z and Gen Alpha. Spiritual, spiritual, spiritism. Think about uh, you know, other people who struggle with sin, like greedy people, corrupt, political, you know, corrupt politicians and, judicial, you know, and judges. Maybe we just simply view poor people negatively. They're leeches on society. You know, fill in the blank. What is, what, is a, a, what is a person? Who is a person that is difficult to love? We can oftentimes look in the mirror, right? Fill in our own names. Maybe we're the, hard, maybe the, hardest, pre, the hardest person to give love to is yourself. In a culture that says... You shouldn't love about your. You shouldn't love yourself. You shouldn't love. You think about yourself. Just love other people and forget about yourself. You don't matter. We're even taught that in the church. But what does the Bible say? Love others as you love yourself. Because who loves you? God. So God, the God of the universe, loves you. Died on the cross, and said, "You're worth it." I think you kind of you kind of matter. And even understanding God's love for you. Because when you understand God's love for you, you understand the love that God wants you to feel. I would hate for my wife to never feel loved by me because she refuses it. Right? Oh, I'm just your wife. I'm just doing my wifely duty. I'm just doing my, my motherly duty. Versus like, no, I want you to know that I love you. Oh, yeah, it's not about me. Shut your face. It is about you. I love you. <laughs> That's what God is saying to you. Shut your face. It's about you. I love you. You're my person. I died for you. You're my glue. You're my glue. 
I love how when my wife talks about, you know, because sometimes I'll just be like, I'll do something wrong. I'm like, oh, Alan, you're such an idiot. God. And my wife looks at me. She's like, stop talking about my husband that way. And I'm like, ooh. Yes, ma'am. They're at camp. She's at camp. Yeah. So the question is, how can you love people who are difficult for you to feel anything besides judgment, disdain, or apathy for? So the first question is, how do you currently? This one is, how can you? The potentiality. How can you? Because it's possible. Through Christ, all things are possible, right? Now third, getting your butt in the gear. How will you love people? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love and its many attributes. This takes practice. To love, how will you love? How will you put this into practice? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the work comes, right? You have to work out your, your, your love muscles, even if it's like little things at a time. I'm going to talk to someone new today at work, that I haven't before, someone that I've, you know, looking at different people and taking a, an awareness, an evaluation of looking at people like, have I thought badly about you or just not thought about you at all? And how can I think about you? And, and how can I maybe love you the way that Christ loves you? How can I think about you first the way that Christ loves, the way that Christ thinks about you? And how do I love you? And, may, and sometimes that's, not necessarily being in a friendship with them. You don't have to be friends with everyone. There's no Bible passage that says you must be friends with people. Right. Right. If they're toxic, get them out of your life. Right. You can love them by getting out away from away from, you get away from them. Right. Because they're, if they're perpetuating hatred in your life because you're there as an easy target, that's not loving to them. It's putting someone who's easy to hate in their path. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I love how, how Galatians 22 puts this in the, in the Passion Translation. Because this is what theologians have, have, modern theologians have been looking at in the context, is that it, it could actually very well be that the fruit of the Spirit is just love. Amen. And all the rest of them are descriptions of how they are played out. So it says this, you know, but the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. So these are all varied expressions of agape, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, greatness of gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. That's the passion, the passion, the passion translation. And so the question is, the fruit of the Spirit, how will you love in all these varied expressions of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? How do you love, how do you manifest agape in these different areas of your lives? Now, the fruit of the Spirit. So when it talks about this, uh, this, this phrase in Scripture, the love your neighbor, Jesus quotes it. From Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, this is where that comes from. The two great commandments, right? Uh, is love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, it's interesting because the second one, love your neighbor as yourself, is the only one that's continually quoted 
in the, in the New Testament. It became a mantra for the church. Because loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength was basically assumed with your love for Christ, with your filling of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul quotes it in, in Romans 13, 9, and again in 5, 14. James, the brother of Jesus, quotes it in James chapter 2. So love your neighbor, that's people. For their, for their context, it was Jews. It was love those who are part of your nation. So that for us, it would be love Americans. Love your, your fellow American, right? Um, and they were like, well, who's my neighbor? Well, let's read the story. The Good Samaritan, that's, that was an answer to that. Everyone, even your enemies, even those who you berate or put down. You know, love Bozemanites. I mean, come on, I know it's... <laughs> It's hard to love Bozemanites. <laughs> I'm kidding. Or, you know, love Californians. That's a little more deeper to home. It's amazing to me. I've been growing to, to realize just how much racism there is against Californians in, in, in Montana. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So, like, what kind of people do we demonize or disdain that God is calling us to love? That's our neighbor. That's our neighbor that God's calling us to love. Now, I love this word because in, in this passage here, it keeps saying remain, remain, remain. I love the actual deeper meaning of it. It's dwell or abide. It's that same thing. So it's the same word that's in John chapter 15. If anyone remains, if anyone dwells or abides, I actually would prefer dwell or abide as the translation because the connotation of the word is like me hanging out. It's like God hanging out, dwelling, tabernacling. If anyone dwells in my love, if everyone abides in my love, he abides in me. He abides in me, and if he abides in me, he abides in my love. And love is, is, abides within us. Mr. Love himself, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, dwells with us. He tabernacles here, now. He's here, tabernacling. He's hanging out. He's chilling. He's throwing up his feet. What's up, Jesus? <clears throat> but here's an interesting thing. Where, where does God tabernacle? Where do we tabernacle? It's like saying, if I, you know, I'm only married at home or at church. But I'm not really married when I go to the hot springs. You know, I take my, you know, my ring off. He's like, oh, what's up, girls? No. I can pick and choose where I'm married. Right? If I'm married, I'm married everywhere, every day, all the time. If you are in Christ, you are in his love. As I can't be in, unmarried in certain places, you can't be outside of Christ anywhere. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, he's in you everywhere. Your faith is everywhere. It's not compartmentalized to the places where you choose to have faith. You either have faith here and everywhere else or you don't have faith at all. You cannot abide in God's love in certain places, just like you can't be married in certain places. I can't be in God at a church, camp, home, churchy things and places. But not when I go to work, when I work out, when with my friends, playing, hiking, hunting, etc. God is always love. We are always in Christ. Therefore, we are always 
loving as Christ loves. So how will you love? How will you love people? Like I said, it takes practice. Work out those muscles. So how do you love currently? How can you potentially love? And now decide how will you love as you go about your lives, as we go about our our weeks. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. The reminder that you love us. You gave yourself up for us. And Lord, you love others who you want to bring in and make part of your bride so that you can dwell among them as they dwell among us here. Lord, inspire us to love so that people can encounter the love of Christ everywhere we go. That we are always in your love and that your love is always in us. And and you are always wanting to extend your love through us, in our lives and through our lives, Lord Jesus. Help us to be a people that love well, love graciously, love gently, joyfully, patiently, kindly, (laughs) would help us to see the fruit of the Spirit as love in all of its varied expressions. For in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.